0: This podcast is a part of the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. Good morning. We're back here on a beautiful Thursday morning and uh, Paul Osborne joins us in studios. I don't know this news coming out uh, about uh, Illinois now being the third state uh, trying to keep uh, former President Trump off the ballot here in Illinois. Now, I, I know this had already been uh, blocked uh, by the Illinois Supreme Court one time. Now we've got a judge uh, in Chicago saying, nope, he can't be on, and we'll see what ends up happening here. This, this doesn't, I don't get why we're doing this here in play into the hands of like the Illinois freedom caucus and the people that will tell you they're trying to take away your vote. I mean, at seven Oh one. If these are the two candidates on election day, Illinois will be called for Joe Biden.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I'm with you on, on this one here. I'm not, I don't know why And this may by Friday. Uh, I think they have until Friday to appeal this and, You know, make a decision on it because he may still be on the ballot then. It's because the one judge said this. Doesn't mean that he's going to be off the ballot and the appeal might, you know, might put him back on. or I, keep him on. I don't understand
0: why. I mean, if we end up and, and who knows what will happen at the end of the day, but if we end up having 47 states being able to vote for a guy and three states can't vote for a guy, whether he should be on the ballot. I mean, this isn't even I'm not even making a judgment call on whether he should or shouldn't be. I'm just saying in Illinois, I don't understand why anyone's concerned about D- Donald Trump winning Illinois.
1: Yeah, and not only that, I think it it certainly uh, gives a case for uh, for Donald Trump to say, you know, they're trying to they're trying to keep me off the ballot, you know. You people want me and they're trying to keep me off the ballot. So you probably have people then even more outraged, and more supportive. Of Donald Trump because of things like this, they're trying to do to keep him off the ballot. Let me
0: be very clear: I, I, I am not one of those people at all. I mean, it comes down to the end of the day, and it's Colorado, Maine, and Illinois. But uh, every other state is the. I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm not strategy wise. I don't think it's smart. I, I can't speak to Colorado or Maine. I just don't worry about it in Illinois.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I and I think it's you look at the, the whole process this time around and it's just it's crazy. And from so many from so many angles, I mean, you talk about the issues that they're discussing, the major issues of concern to to the people. They're using uh, the, the border crisis as an example, probably the, the big football that gets kicked back and forth. There's something that could be done, and it could have been done about this, you know. Well, there's no sense yeah. doing anything <laughs>
0: if if they can use it as a weapon against each. Other. I, that's, I, I have very little faith of, uh, you know. Uh, uh for most people that are in Washington, D.C., and in an election year particularly. I remember Rahm Emanuel, when he was then Congressman uh, Emanuel, before he was chief of staff for Barack Obama and then mayor of Chicago. We had a group uh, uh, there uh, of about 50 or 60 people in Washington, D.C., and he was one of the people who came in uh, to address uh, the crowd. And he was, I think, the chair of the DNC then, uh, when they were trying to win back Congress and this was in the spring and, and one of the educators asked me if there'd be any like legislation between now and November. And he was like just as brutally honest as any politician I've ever heard in my life. Because we're not doing anything. Yeah. We're not giving anybody any victories and we're not taking away any sticks we can use to, you know, beat the other side. So basically saying for the next seven or eight months, we're going to be here not doing your business, not doing the people's business. All we're doing is trying to win the election in November. Now, I'm not criticizing him. I think he was just being honest about what they all do. And I guarantee you, if you ask them now privately, that's what they would tell you. No, they're not, no one is interested in in actually solving the border crisis.
1: Well, I I think uh, President Biden is interested in doing something more positive than he has been doing. It would be good for him, but the Republicans
0: in the House are not ever going to do that. I mean, they had bipartisan legislation. There were several Republican congressmen that were on board with that. And then Trump, via Truth Social or whatever you you know, uh, social media, uh, and this is the power he has within the GOP party, even the people who know it's the right thing to do get afraid to do the
1: right thing. Uh, because it takes it off the table as a, as an issue. If you resolve that now, then but you're not. Gonna,
0: but he you, promised to resolve it during his presidency.
1: Yeah, and I think when you when you look at that, that's what really concerns me uh, on both sides. You know, if if something is important, and, and I would agree, I'm, I'm concerned about what's happening at the border. I'm concerned about, you know, it's almost well, it is out of control, and something has to be done about it. I think I'm even more concerned is the attitude is. I will do something about this when it benefits me as a presidential candidate on both sides. And uh, I think the only reason you're, you're seeing Joe Biden, President Biden, uh, take the action going to the border, he knows that that's a critical part. I, I of know what people are thinking, they're and both, so both are using. They're
0: both it. going to the border today, and all and they're going to do is keep people from doing their jobs. Because of the extra security and all the resources are going to have to go to try to put both of those guys down there today uh, from actually doing like protecting the border.
1: Well, and I think what concerns me, and and we see this so often now, that it's not about what's best for the country. It's what's best for a candidate. We'll take care of this once we're elected or once we're reelected. We'll take care of this. We'll take care of it now. You know, and you really have the power now to, to deal with this and take care of this, but you don't want to because it takes away a major campaign issue. So you're putting your campaign either on both sides. I'm not talking about one side or the other. You're putting your campaign ahead of a solution that helps the American people. You could take action right now. Yeah.
0: Well, my friend, your friend, uh, Howard Buffett wrote a, a book, two books about this and says that the that the politicians are the reason we're not solving the problem. And the only way you're going to solve the problem is to get politics out of the problem. Uh, and, you know, if you think about how your business works or how your company works, you, you know, do you sit down and put a team together to fix something that's wrong or do you stand out on a street corner yelling about it, uh, you know, so you can get people outraged and you go back into your work and nothing gets done? I, that's all they do anymore.
1: Not all of them. I, I
0: will say that there were plenty of serious minded bipartisan people on both sides of the aisle that put together a plan to help with what's going on at the border. And it was just dead on arrival in the House.
1: Well, I think, too, you know, if people say, well, I didn't like that, but that was a start. That was something you could do now. That was something that would exercise some controls over now. It had a lot of what you asked for. Yep. In that, and you rejected that, and you rejected it for one reason because it would not be a major campaign issue if you went ahead and started solving it now.
0: Well, here, let me give you the irony of ironies the February 25th Gallup polling numbers about uh, what's important to the American voter, right? And there's economic issues, and then there's non economic issues, you know, are kind of the categories. The top two non economic problems, right? Immigration and government poor leadership. <laughs> So the the top two numbers are we know this is a problem at the border, and we have no confidence in the leadership that's supposed to be solving the problem at the border.
1: And I can understand why why the results uh, tell us that story. And it's a story that people know they want that solved, and it's not that they hate immigrants or anyone else, anyone coming across the border. They want some controls and some reasonable approaches made to this. A plan. Yeah, yep, a plan.
0: Uh, economic problems, the economy in general, high cost of living and inflation, uh, federal budget deficit, federal debt. I, I've never had an actual personal conversation with anybody in my life where they go, you know, that deficit. I, I, <laughs> it's just one of those things. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be concerned with it. What I hear is the price of food, uh, the, the cost of living, you know, how we're spending 26 to 30% more on groceries. You know, those are the things I hear from people.
1: Well, you too, and you experience that every day. And I think, particularly if you have a family, of two or three kids at home, I mean, you're paying. And I know, just uh, you know, going out and just buying a sandwich or something anymore. Yep. It's ten bucks without a drink, and it's just uh, it's unbelievable. And I, I think the people that you know. And here's another thing too. You know, you in Illinois, you keep raising uh, the minimum wage. But that minimum wage is probably not going as far as before you even raised it because prices keep going up. Right. You raise the minimum wage, it's going to be made up somewhere. Those businesses are going to make that up. They're going to charge more for their product. They're going yeah. to charge more for their service.
0: I'm you know, i of two minds on that. I, I know it's a factor, and I talk to small business people, and I hear that. But there's an awful lot of people making an awful lot of profit, and prices aren't going down. They're going up, and you're getting less for your money, and there's plenty of corporate greed out there where – you know, do I think that that fast food jobs ought to be a career for people? No. When I was a kid, those were teenager jobs. You know, you do that to help pay for school, do whatever. Uh, I don't have a problem with the the, uh, minimum wage going up. It was too low for too long. It really was. Uh, You have to do things with businesses in mind and understand that they've got the same, they're paying all the same for gas and, and food and everything else. But there's enough of that to go around. I don't. The wage issues is a thing. The gap between rich and poor is a thing. But if you look at what people are, it's the economy in general. It's the high cost of living and inflation. That is the main thing. And, and then immigration, but then the lack of trust of government to do anything about these kind of problems are head and head in the non-economic issues. I don't even hear politicians talking about solutions anymore. No. Uh-uh. I mean, when was the last time you interviewed somebody that goes, y- you know, here's how we solve this?
1: Yeah, usually it's just, well, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stand up for you. How are you going to do that? <laughs> you know, well, you know, I'll tell you later. Is basically what they're, they're saying. I'm going to represent, I'm going to be your voice for you. But they're
0: running all the time. So there's not even a window now of where you can put that on the side table and actually work to get something done. I mean, they're constantly campaigning.
1: Well yeah, the campaign starts for the next uh, for the next election right after they win. Right, white. and it used yeah. to
0: be there was a window where you actually governed.
1: Yeah, and you got some things done before you had to get out and campaign again. It's just a constant campaign now. And every decision seemingly every decision that many uh, people make who who represent us is how will this affect my election? You know, will this play well on my election? And as you know, you get a lot of news releases from uh, office holders telling us what they're doing in that about six months before the election, you know, maybe those should come out all along uh, and, and that you're doing things yep. now all along, not yeah. just right before election.
0: So it's interesting. Uh, we, we, we now hear the Brad Halbrook commercials uh, during the, uh, the morning show here. I don't ever recall him buying advertising. Uh, Congressman Mary Miller is the intro. They can't even agree on how to pronounce his last name. Hmm. She calls him something different than he calls himself. Is that right?
1: <laughs> well, he has he has some competition in the uh, in the primary. I think a lady from yeah, Macon. but it's, it's just yeah.
0: interesting though that um, people who won't come on the show will buy advertising in the show, which then is in stark contrast to what they tell people about not coming on the show.
1: Yeah. Well, I, that's, that's true, you you see this and I hear this, uh, you know, I, I won't go on that show, you know, and probably nobody listens to it anyway, but he advertises on it because they know they do. I, that's it's yeah. all, uh,
0: it, it's so disingenuous, every bit of it. Uh, I mean, it is, all I'm just asking is if, if I'm getting an endorsement from somebody, they pronounce my name right, you, you know, in the commercial. Otherwise it sounds like you've never met.
1: Well, that's the advantage we have in in the news uh, the newspaper the print newspaper. We so don't have to spell it right. Names, as long as you spell, spell it, it right. right. <laughs> so. uh,
0: do you do you think there's any chance? I mean, I, I just see those districts as being so drawn to like I mean I don't understand. I I, I we haven't had anybody on uh, to be honest, other than the Erickson uh, regan Deering uh, campaign, uh, and and I don't I, I don't even look forward to it anymore.
1: No, it used to be a big deal. I mean, what it, really it used to be yeah. you could have an
0: honest conversation with people. I mean, you really could. Like, you didn't feel like they were just lying through their teeth to you. I mean, that they would, like, if you had an agreement or a disagreement, you know, you would debate, like, the issues and talk about things and solutions. And none of them do that anymore.
1: No, and that's what I really appreciated, you know, from, the, from a lot of the people that we interviewed, you interviewed, and I did for the paper in the past, that you could sit down and you could have a conversation with them, and they had a reasonable approach to either running or serving. And they're saying, this is how... I, and you'd ask them any question. And, and they would say, well, you may not agree with me, but this is how I feel about it. And you get an honest answer. And I don't know. Maybe it's the it's change in the world. It's the change in the attitude, the way people drive today and everything else. It's a little crazy out there right now. And I think that's reflected also in politics. It's, yeah. it, it's, it's crazy right now. It really is. And I... You know, maybe a little crazy is okay, but it seems like some of these paths that uh, some of these office holders go down, uh, you know, they, they stun me almost considering, like, how do you represent the people? You're representing yourself. You're not representing me. Or the well, people.
0: That, that's the whole thing today with, with what the GOP is doing in general is just scare people, scare people, raise money, scare people, raise money, scare people, get reelected.
1: You know, I don't, and I, I, I read a lot of, uh, obviously a lot of uh, other newspapers. I, I don't know which writer said this. I, I wish I'd have, have written it down because I've read so much since then. But they made a real valid point: said Nikki Haley is staying in this race, and she's speaking to a Republican Party that no longer exists. And you know, there's some truth in that. Uh, the Republican Party that we once knew, I don't think, and if it exists, it has no power right now. You know, it's being dominated by another Republican Party. Yeah. And we're seeing that. Well,
0: I, I, I think it exists. I, I disagree. I mean, I know what she's doing and setting herself up to be, and I get that. Uh, you know, and if you look at South Carolina, Trump didn't get 40% of the Republican vote. Yeah. You, you know, and if you look at Michigan— uh, this uh, uh, uncommitted uh, thing against Biden with the Democrats up there because we've got one of the larger Muslim populations uh, in that area, sent a very clear message. They both have a problem with this. And and I she's going to stick in this to be, hopefully be the uh, we-need-someone-to-step-up candidate because all hell is broken loose with these trials and everything else, or not. I don't know how she does it uh, money-wise and organizational-wise. But I think there are three kinds of Republicans right now. Three. I'm gonna put it. I mean, we'll put it in. What was Hillary's basket? <laughs> that, that thing. There are the diehard MAGA people, right? And and I don't. Trump said it himself. I could shoot somebody in, in the middle of downtown Manhattan, and they wouldn't care. And I think that is a, a giant percentage of voters. I think there are people who know what they're doing is wrong but do it anyway because of the fear of having that tide turned against them. And so they will flip-flop and they will do things that they probably wouldn't do if there was a different figurehead at the top of the party, if a George Bush or a Mitt Romney was there. And then I think there are the ones who refuse to do that and they have been just cast aside, the Mitt Romneys, the uh, Liz Cheneys, the... um, was our guy, Adam Kinziger, you, you know, those kind of Republicans? I, I see it in three piles.
1: Yeah, that's probably pretty it. well. And, and the end result of the three piles is you don't have a unified party. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a unified party, can you win in November? And,
0: and you can't trust that middle part because that middle part might want to do the right thing, but all one social media post and they end up voting against something that they probably would have supported. Yeah. And, and they, you don't have any integrity then.
1: No. Well, that's I think that's that's what people are looking for, and talk about uh, maybe Nikki is speaking to a Republican Party that doesn't exist anymore. I think that party exists, but has been silenced. You know, at this point,
0: some of them have self silenced, uh, and that's on them. Uh, Nikki Haley, I think you met. Uh, now, I do think that there's, and, and the Democrats have the same problems on on the other side. I mean, you, you know, you can't support Israel now, or we're going to make sure you're held accountable. I mean, there's a lot of things that are happening uh, where the fringe has become sort of the majority.
1: Yeah. And right now they're calling the shots. Uh, they're dictating policy right, in, but, in this country.
0: But if you look at Gallup polling and look at it over months and months and months, and there's dips and fluctuations and things, that you know are the forefront of the media can help drive that you know one way or another but you look at what most people would respond to is hey we want to figure out how you can put more of your own money in your pocket and not life not be so expensive and you've got a pathway to and i mean those old-fashioned things that politicians used to run on because people vote their checkbook or vote their wallet or vote their pocketbook i think they used to say (laughs) back in the day when you had a pocketbook they've gotten away from all that now they tap into the ugliest parts of our nature about you have to be fearful of them. You have to hate them. It's one side or the other. We're, we're, we're democracy as we know it will end.
1: Well, I th- think, too, you look at it and say, you know, I may disagree with you, but I don't hate you. And, and unfortunately, it's just like you disagree with me. You've got an enemy, you know, right here. And, well, and that, that's, that's
0: changed. We uh, we are. We, we've gone full on walking dead. You know, we didn't even need the zombie apocalypse. It's just tribalism. Uh, and that's unfortunately... Uh, a lot of people respond to that. All right. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the milkman, uh, column here. I, you know, when did they stop doing this? Do you have any idea?
1: I, I'm not sure. Uh, uh but it's, uh, I don't
0: have any recollections of it myself, uh, in my lifetime.
1: Yeah, I do. And I mentioned in there when we lived in the Elms that we had a box, an insulated box, insulated
0: box on in the front porch.
1: Yeah. I now I now the, the milkman didn't have a horse and buggy. He, he came in a truck and, uh, but it's, uh, yeah, I didn't think anything about it, but a lot of people back in that day had milk and had chocolate milk and orange juice and that and bottles and be delivered in that insulated box. I think one amazing thing was they would even trust the milkman to the point back in that day that many of them would leave the door unlocked. He'd come in, put the milk in the refrigerator and leave. <laughs> so it's things have changed a little since then. But that, that was a, a part of Decatur and a part of America that, that was kind of spatial, you know, back in the day.
0: I, I, I'm wondering why. Uh, you, you know, I mean, you, you would go out and buy all your other refrigerated products, <laughs> but milk was delivered to you at home, and it was probably ridiculously inexpensive.
1: Well, also, too, people ate breakfast at home. They got up, and they had milk or orange juice or whatever. They didn't have to go out and buy it. And yeah. If you had a family, you probably went through that during the day pretty fast. But And that's probably the reason that it, it finally disappeared.
0: Evidently, it was still going on in some places in the 1990s.
1: Yeah, I think it was in the 1970s, the last that, uh, that was delivered to our house. When we had kids at home. Well, that would have
0: and, been in my lifetime. Uh, yeah. That's strange. I don't have any person. It doesn't mean we didn't. I, I just don't remember it. Uh, but evidently, it died out after the deregulation of the milk industry. Um, and I guess supermarkets uh, and other stores weren't allowed. Uh, uh, to, I mean, like they, I, they, the powers that be had that milk industry cornered.
1: Yeah, the... Uh, well, I mean, we had dairies all over the place here in Decatur. Yeah, small dairies, uh, small home-owned dairies had metal gold and and all of these, and probably that was uh, maybe a huge uh, employer. I'm thinking of uh, downtown. There were a couple of dairies downtown. Yeah, you know, and that's even going back to the horse and buggy days when they delivered. But, and the horses even. But the funny part: <laughs> the, the horse would walk up and stop, and milkman to get out. He the horse would be up for the next, the next house. In
0: 1963, 29.7 uh, percent of consumers in the U.S. had milk delivered, uh, but by 1975, that number had dropped to 6.9 percent. So there's, uh, it's an interesting history. I didn't know any of this until you wrote about it uh, in your column, the history of uh, Decatur's milkmen. Um, there, there was you know, the milk companies sort of owned that domain and you couldn't necessarily buy it in some places. And so the home delivery thing was there. They deregulated all that and then it all went away.
1: Yeah. And we had uh, some of the people that I interviewed years ago who were were milkmen, uh, they worked for 40, 45 years delivering milk to Doris. And, uh, and I remember one of the golf pros here, about the last one I remember, he was a golf pro out at Scoville But early morning, you know, I walked out the door and he was delivering milk at my door kind of to supplement his income, I guess. So a lot of people had that in the last days as kind of a supplemental part of their income. And, uh, you know, they weren't driving horses or anything, but they had a, you know, just a milk van, a milk truck.
0: All right. We've got to go. We're out of time. You can read all about it. Page four or five There's some great photos. If you uh, like a little look at history of the community in years gone by. Paul, uh, we appreciate it. Have a great week and uh, weekend, and we'll see you next uh, Thursday.
1: You've been listening to the Newhoff Media Podcast
0: Network. For more, visit newhoffmedia.com.